worship. I want to do this a little bit different. I want you to turn in your Bibles real quick to Mark chapter 14. Would you do that? Tammy, I, I want to go ahead and put on the, the screen our, our scripture for today from our sermon. I want to read this, and then I want Lavana to come sing her song because I asked her to sing a, a special song that she sung around here for several years. And it has to do with this story. And so I want us to read the story. I think we'll appreciate the worship and song together a little more if we do. All right? This is what we're going to preach from today. A very, very amazing passage of Scripture. Mark 14, verse 1 through verses 11. You follow along as I read out loud, okay? After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft. And put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. They said, politically, just not a good idea to do this now. Verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, whosoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. The text ends on a sad note. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went into the chief priest to betray him unto them. After all of that, he still had the guts to betray Jesus. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. We have a woman that gave her all to clean the feet of Jesus. And we have Judas who sold Jesus out for a few small coins. May we be like Mary with our alabaster box, willing to pour it out at the feet of Jesus. Listen to this song. As she made her way to Jesus, she stumbled through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain, some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, there's no room here for her kind. Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face. 
until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair. You weren't a prisoner to the sins that had me bound. I spent my days, filled my life without measure, into a little treasure box I thought I had found. Until the day that Jesus came to me, and healed my soul with the wonder of his touch. Now I'm giving back to him everything he's worthy of. I've been forgiven, and that's why I love him so. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair, with my hair. You were not there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his love all around me. Oh, you don't know 
That song was written highlighting the misunderstanding that took place in Mark chapter 14 after the moments that Mary broke her alabaster box. She was immediately misunderstood. And that's the emphasis I want to place on the text. That's the burden I want to bring to our church today. Because I think we can learn something. Those of us who try our best to spend and give lavishly of ourselves to our Savior. I think we can learn something about what happens the moments following our lavish giving. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in the biblical script. Did you do that? That means you're in the room today with Mary. You're in the room today with Martha. And Lazarus is there. And the disciples are there. And Jesus is sitting at the table. Of course, we know Martha is busy serving. Making the meal, pulling the bread out of the oven. Lazarus is sitting at the table fellowshiping with Jesus and his buddies, which is a really big deal because just days ago he was dead. But Mary had slipped out of the room for just a couple of minutes. No one even noticed because she was so quiet by nature. Then a few minutes later, you watch her come back in and unintentionally she stole the show. Her hair was down. That would have been culturally shocking to the men in the room. She was holding a sturdy, decorative box they would have known as the alabaster box. It had a very expensive ointment inside of it called spikenard. What she did next was totally shocking. She broke it open and started pouring it on Jesus' head. And she rubbed the ointment into his hair and rubbed it deeper into his scalp. <clears throat> then she went even further. As though she hasn't went far enough. She got on the floor on her hands and her knees and used the remaining spikenard from her box to wash his feet. Using her, her hair to wipe what used to be dust. But now had become mud off the feet of Jesus. This is where I want to push pause today. This is where I want to freeze the frame for a few moments. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye what's happening at this point. Jesus is at the table. Lazarus is at the table. The disciples are at the table. Martha is busy, but Mary is on the floor with her hair down, probably looking very pitiful because that thick liquid mixed in her hair, along with the dust and the dirt that was on Jesus' feet, has given her a matted look. Because she started the anointing with Jesus' head, she can now feel the ointment from his hair dripping down on her and she lies on the floor at his feet. She saw the very costly ointment 
dripping onto the floor and, and, and matted in her hair. And I wonder in that moment, what was she thinking? Could she have been thinking, I wonder if I did the right thing here. This is ointment I've been saving for just the, the perfect event. This is ointment that I use in just very small portions because of its value. It's supposed to last a lifetime. Should I just have used a little bit of the bottle? Did I really have to break it? Was it really worth it giving so much? Don't get me wrong. I think she loved Jesus and Truly thought she was doing the right thing in the moment. But maybe after she saw that expensive ointment hit the ground and turn into mud. She could have thought that she went a little overboard. I don't think I'm stretching this based on what happened next in the story. Because after she demonstrates her love for Jesus in this extravagant, lavish way. She hears two voices. Two opinions of what she had done. The first was the voice of Judas. Mark in his description is pretty general of who spoke up to criticize Mary. But John's gospel makes it clear that Judas was the first spokesperson. John 12 says, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Let's be honest together. Judas, does he not make a valid point? What Mary poured out on Jesus' feet and on his hair was very costly. 300 pence, which was 300 denarii. A single denarius, denarius was worth one day's worth of work. 300 would have been equivalent to nearly a year's wage for the Roman soldier. In essence, here's what Judas said in front of everybody. Mary... You could have taken it to the marketplace. You could have sold it to the person who would buy it for the most money. And then you could have taken the proceeds and given it to the poor. Think about it, Mary. If you really wanted to do something good with it, maybe you could have fed one person every day for a whole year with that amount of money based on the, on the ointment and its value. Again, is that not a valid point? When you compare what Mary could have done with it to what our story shows she did with it, if you were in that room, would you not be thinking some of the same thoughts? Anointing a man's head, cleaning a man's feet? Would you rather your costly offering given to our church be used to feed the hungry or wash a man's feet? But even though Judas's argument would have made sense in the room. John's gospel tells us that Judas's motive wasn't as good as it first sounded. He tells us in verse six, this he said, not that he cared for the poor because he was a thief. He had the bag, he was a treasurer and bear what was put therein. He was greedy. His statements were not coming from a place of genuine care for the poor. But listen, Mary didn't know that in the moment. She trusted Judas. Judas was a disciple of Jesus, who she really trusted. She didn't know about Jesus, Judas, then, what we know about Judas today. 
On top of that, there were more voices than just the voice of Judas. According to Matthew's account, the disciples chimed in and they said it was a waste as well. Matthew 26, verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation. They were angry at her. Saying, to what purpose is this waste? John says, Judas said it. Matthew says, the disciples said it. Who's right and who's wrong? No one's wrong. They're both right. Here's what I think happened. Judas spoke up and he made the point that it could have been used for something to feed the poor. The disciples heard his, his argument. They thought about his argument. And then they looked at each other and said, you know what? That, that kind of makes sense. That, that's a good thought, Judas. I, I like your way of thinking. You know what? What she did? Yeah. It was kind of a waste. And we think Jesus would probably agree with us. Could you imagine? I hope you're still in the room with Mary. Could you imagine how she felt? She hears Judas criticize her. Okay, that's one disciple. Maybe she could shake it off. But then she turns to Peter. And she turns to John. And she turns to James. And she turns to Andrew. And she sees them saying amen. She sees them nodding their heads in agreement with Judas and even voicing out loud. Yeah, it was a waste, Mary. You tell me, church, was she feeling confident in the moment or possibly doubting herself and what she did? To me, I think Mary's probably thinking, I just spent lavishly on Jesus. I thought when I went to the room and I grabbed the alabaster box, I... I thought God was leading me to do this. I, I thought I did the right thing, but now they're telling me it was a waste. I trust these men. They're the church. They're the proclaimers of the gospel. They're the first Christians. And they're telling me I made a mistake. Thankfully, their voices aren't the only voices that Mary hears on that day. There comes another voice into the narrative, another opinion. It was the voice of Jesus Christ. Look at verses six through nine. And Jesus said, let her alone, leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. Hey, she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Jesus has his own opinion of what Mary had done. He looks at Judas, he looks at the disciples, and he says, guys, leave her alone. She hath done a good work. She hath done what she could. And then he goes on to rebuke Judas's view of her gift. He said, this isn't a waste, and here's why. Catch this, church. Jesus said that Mary actually comprehends what you don't comprehend about my death and my burial and my resurrection. She understands my suffering. She understands the sacrifice that, that I'm about to make, and she understands the sacrifice I'm expecting of my followers when I leave. 
What she is doing is preparing my body for burial, for a very important task that I've been trying to get through your thick skulls that I came here to accomplish. But you in your greed, you in your short-sightedness, you don't get that. You want a throne in the Roman government. You want me to be your new emperor. You want position and power and prestige. And she understands what you don't. The Christian life is not about power. It's not about prestige. It's about suffering. It's about sacrifice. And what she did will be spoken of as a gospel. Good news. Forever. And Jesus is right. We're preaching about it today. Could you imagine the relief that filled Mary's soul when she heard those words? Could you imagine the joy that must have flooded her heart to know I did the right thing? Those dudes are wrong. This is not a waste. Jesus said it was worth it. I find the timing of this text amazingly providential. That, that we would be studying and learning about giving extravagantly to Jesus the same weekend that we celebrated paying off our building is not an accident. I couldn't have planned it, but God did. Because he knows that just like Mary, after we have been, been, been led by God to, to give generously to his work, and we do, we will find ourselves between two voices every time. And we could learn something as a church, as believers, as disciples today from Mary about which voice we should listen to. See, churches like ours don't make it to this point in history without people who decided to break their alabaster box and give lavishly to Jesus Christ. You know who my mind first went to this past week in my study? It went to the pastors that have so faithfully led this flock. Me and my dad had a, a talk about the history of our church. I, Learned again that our church officially began on November the 13th, 1955. Pastors from other Baptist churches in Elkhart, Parrington, Pampa, Borger, and Johnson met at the Blue Bonnet Community Hall to organize the Fellowship Baptist Mission into the Fellowship Baptist Church. There were nine individuals who made up that, that first church Fellowship Baptist Church, that first official day of becoming a church. It was a charter day. Fast forward 11 years and the church attendance has grown to 155 people. Weldon Avery was the first pastor of the church in 1955. Dick Burke Holder was the second pastor. James Falkenberry was the third pastor. Larry Moth was the fourth pastor. Jake Minnick was the fifth pastor. Five pastors over 20 years. Must have been a tough crowd. <laughs> then came Brother Larry Landis in 1975 and pastored until the year 2000. 
My dad, having already been on staff by that time for 19 years, became the pastor from 2000 to 2020. And now you're stuck with me as the eighth pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. I say all that to say this. These men who came before me chose to break their alabaster box for the sake of the gospel through this church. Just a small church with a small beginning in a small town. And listen, it's because of their lavish giving that that we even have a reason to be here today. Pastors who through the years had a vision for growth. Pastors who, who through the years courageously made changes to propel the church forward. Pastors through the years who had the faith to grow forward in building programs, even like this one, even though they couldn't answer all the questions and they couldn't cross all their T's, they couldn't dot all their I's and they for sure didn't have the perfect plan. Pastors who persevered through the ups and downs of church life and who never quit preaching the gospel. I want to praise the Lord that Fellowship Baptist Church has always had a pastor willing to break his alabaster box. But every pastor would tell you there would be no church if it weren't for the people that were in it. And Fellowship Baptist Church wouldn't be where it is today had not people since 1955 been breaking their alabaster box. Pouring their resources at the feet of Jesus. Some have spent lavishly with their talent. Our church is so full of talent. It's amazing. Some have spent lavishly with their time. So much dedication that people put into this church. Some have spent lavishly, yes, with their money. We don't pay off a building this size, this early, with people giving a cup full of their spike nerd. We do these kind of things because God moves on people and they get their alabaster box and they sacrifice and they break it open and they pour it all at the feet of Jesus. I, I've known members through the years that have given lavishly through a personal sacrificial decision. Could have taken a job promotion in a bigger city, but didn't. Because they wanted to stay attached to this ministry. Had kids that could have made all-star teams and they could have been gone half the year on the weekends but chose not to. Because they wanted them in church. Some that have driven 40, 50, 60 miles one way to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's not a cup full of spikenard, my friend. That's a box full. And inevitably the time will come if it hasn't already come for you. When you will have the same moment Mary did, the the, the frame will be frozen. Post your gift to God. You might even hear this voice come in saying this. What a waste. It won't be the voice of Judas. He's in hell. But it'll be the voice of Satan. You're giving too much. Is it really worth it? You're going too far. Investing too generously. That voice comes to me sometimes when I get that 
giving statement at the end of the year. And in my carnality, I look at what I gave, though some give way more than I give. And I say, wow, I could have done this. Could have had this. Could have bought that. Could have went there. And I hear Judas speaking to me saying, slow down, big boy. You're young. You got your whole life to give. Church members that look at their calendars. How much of any given month is given to the church that you placed your membership in? Serving and singing and teaching and greeting and giving and rushing here from work and staying late to practice. Every once in a while you can look at your calendar and you're going to hear the voice of Judas saying you're giving too much. You look at other friends who don't prioritize the work of the Lord and other people in the church who aren't really all in and you see the free time they have and the margin in their calendars they enjoy and you can hear the voice of Judas saying you, you should try what they're doing. You know what I call that for the Christian? I call it giver's remorse. All of us have buyer's remorse, right? We buy something and it's, it's not five minutes after we're like, why did I do that? Well, there is such thing as giver's remorse too. We give and right after we're like, I don't know if I should have done that. You know, I found that it's not always just the voice of Judas. Sometimes there's even added weight to it because you hear the voice of people that you love, like the disciples. People close to you, people that you trust, and they're telling you the same thing that Satan's whispering in your ear. They're saying, aren't you doing a little too much for that church? Aren't you a little too sold out, a little too radical? I say that because we live in a culture where New Testament Christianity is being looked at like, like a cult almost. Those who actually spend lavishly on Jesus and his church are looked upon as some radical sect of people that have just drunk too much of the Jesus Kool-Aid. When really all you're doing is denying yourself, taking up your cross and following your Savior. All you're doing is offering your body as a living, holy sacrifice accepts of the Lord because you know it's your reasonable service. Yet in our day and age, you'll hear the subtle and sometimes not so subtle jabs that come from family members, co-workers, members of other churches, and even members of this church. And if you're not careful, hear me, their voices will be very convincing to you. Do less. That's why you have to learn to tune your heart to hear the other voice. The voice of Jesus. He doesn't just give an opinion, friend. He gives absolute truth. And he makes it clear that your gift to him and your sacrifice for him, whatever that is, time, treasure, talent, your life, it's always worth it. When we read this story, we, we, we like to think that, man, Mary had a huge advantage over us because she had the audible voice of Jesus telling her it was worth it. She had Jesus sticking up for her and saying, leave her alone. But I submit to you that Jesus speaks to us today just as clearly about what he thinks in regards to lavish spending for him because we have his holy word. His opinion, his voice rings loud and clear in his word. 
Like Mary, Jesus says that your gift to him, your time, your talent, your treasure, your life, it will be a memorial forever. Satan tells you it's a waste. Jesus tells you, no, 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 it's a memorial. When you give your time to God to teach a Sunday school class full of rowdy kids or serve in a children's ministry full of rowdy kids and you teach them that Jesus loves them, that will be a memorial to you forever as those kids perhaps grow up and come to faith in Jesus Christ and serve the Lord into their adult years and forever recall you, their teacher that gave of herself or himself every week to teach them about Jesus. When you give of your talent and your time to lead worship through singing or playing an instrument. I have spent three hours here yesterday with our musicians preparing for our night of praise tonight, which is going to be excellent in every way. But, But sometimes when we give of our time and talent, we feel so spent after those practice times. And, and we're tempted to think that we're just giving too much, but listen, we are singing the gospel. We are declaring the gospel in song. God might do something through through our hours of dedication that helps the gospel become more appealing and more clear in people's hearts. When you watch a baby in the nursery, that's not yours. It's not your baby. That feels extravagant sometimes. Might seem like what you're given in in just a nursery ministry is, is not worth it based on what you're missing out on in the service. But did you know that God is using your ministry in that nursery as a way to provide a distraction-free environment where the parents of that baby you're watching can hear a clear presentation of the gospel? I'm convinced in heaven it'll be fruit to nursery workers account all these people that sat in a service without kids going crazy. And they heard the gospel. And they got saved. I think, I just think that God is keeping score. And he knows the mamas. And he knows the teenage girls. And he knows the single ladies. He knows the couples that are in there right now. And there's a bunch of diarrhea going on these days. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. It's messy job in there right now. It's a hard job. But I got a feeling God sees every one of them. And should somebody hear the gospel today and call upon Christ, I don't think God will overlook the nursery workers or the children's church workers or the bus drivers that brought kids in to hear the gospel today or the security ministry team that keeps us safe every Sunday or the greeters or bless their heart, the ladies that make us coffee every week. Hey, your gift might seem like it's, it's just mud on the ground. A waste of your time. You know better, but you hear that voice. But listen to God's opinion of it in Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteousness, unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God says, I'll remember it. It's not a waste, it's a memorial. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, 
unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, not doing less, doing more. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He never loses track. You feel like it's a waste sometime. Other people might feel like it's a waste sometime simply because you don't get noticed or appreciated or thanked as regularly as you feel you should. But understand, it's never in vain when you do it for God. Paul says in Galatians, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't stop doing good. Why? For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do we really need to be in the room with Mary to believe what Jesus thinks of your lavish giving? No, he puts it in his word. He thinks a lot about what you give. I'm convinced there's coming a day when many, many, many members and Christians that have assembled at Fellowship Baptist Church since 1955 who have given so much to the Lord, some of which directly helped us pay off that building so early, some things people have no idea about what people in this church have done. There is coming a day when the faithful members of our flock will stand before the Lord and I'm confident will hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were tired, but you kept on serving. You were broke, but you kept on giving. You were hurt, but you kept on going. You were sad, but you kept on singing. You were unhealthy, but you kept showing up. Well done. Well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. One of the most sobering things about this text is what Jesus said about Mary. It's compared to what Jesus said about Judas. In verse 9, he said this about Mary. This also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial. Mark describes Judas doing this. He went into the chief priest to betray him unto them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Jesus said what she did. It's going to be immoral. But look down in verse 21 of chapter 14. This is how Jesus describes Judas. The son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Do you see the contrast? Jesus says of Mary, what she did will never be wasted. He says of Judas, because of what he did, he is a waste. The voice that mattered most in the room spoke up and gave us for all eternity the final verdict as to what he thinks of his disciples giving lavishly to him. And he thinks this, it's always right. It's always worth it. It will always be remembered. This last Friday night was a great night, wasn't it? Enjoyed ourselves, celebrated in the Lord. That's just one example of the heartbeat of our church and generosity. Because generosity doesn't just deal with money, it deals with time. It deals with talent. 
It deals with energy. Generosity deals with attitude. It's so much more than your bank account. I'm convinced that we will stop giving if we stop listening to the voice of Jesus. We will live like this if all we do is listen to Judas. We'll live like this when we start listening to Jesus. Why is that so important? Here's why it's important. Because the greatest days for this church are not behind us. They're ahead of us. And lest we have this generation breaking its alabaster box, the generation coming behind us won't have the same fellowship Baptist church. And why would you enjoy today what past generations have made possible for you and not be generous enough to make that possible for generations coming behind you? That's how a church continues effectively in the gospel because this generation cares enough about the gospel to give beyond their generation. God, help us to not be a cap full of spike nerd church, but a break open the box kind of church so long as we are left at 310 West Pancake. God, help us to tune our hearts to hear the voice of Jesus and not get discouraged by the voice of Judas. Because in due season, ye shall reap if you faint not. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.